everybody. Welcome to Ask the Minimalist Anything number 55. Heck yeah. This is for our true fans. Also our VIPs. Yeah. As well. What's up, patrons? Thank you so much for being here. You know what? We, uh, we got some questions. Let's dive right into these, Ryan. Our first Ask the Minimalist Anything question is from Mark Wilson. Cheers on 11 years, guys. My question, I'm about to finish a years-long degree program. Between that time sink and COVID lockdowns, I don't recognize the life I had prior to these things and feel I'll need to start from scratch. What advice do you have for rebuilding a meaningful life from the ground up? Mm, This is the best place to start. Yeah. Hey, Mark, thanks for using your picture, by the way, on your profile. That's, That's pretty awesome. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Oh, man, it is the best place to start. You know... Whenever you have to rebuild anything, any major life decision, uh, I mean, for me, man, it always goes back to those values. It goes back to, you know, what what makes you tick? What are you trying to accomplish? And the way you get to that is by getting clear on your values. And guess what? Josh and I, we have a values worksheet in our new book, Love People, Use Things. Is it still considered new? Yeah, it's uh, it's newish. It's less than a year yeah. old. Or you can also go to theminimalists.com forward slash V as in values. And there's a worksheet there. And the reason why it's so important to get clear on these values is because that is your compass. That is your barometer. That helps you decide what decisions to make. Uh, you know, are, there, are you always going to line up exactly with your values? Maybe not 100%, but maybe 98%, maybe 80 whatever it is. Use that as your guide. In fact, if you're feeling any discontent in life, it's likely because your actions don't align with those values. Yeah. And we often feel a lot of discontent in our lives because we don't know what our values are. And so we just take random haphazard actions. Not that we're doing anything wrong, you know, morally wrong mm-hmm. or bad. It's just that we value something, but our actions say we value something else. And so there's mm-hmm. an incongruency there. Why don't you talk about the values a little bit as far as uh, the, the building a house analogy? I think this is important. Yes, yeah, so on that worksheet, you'll find that there are foundational values. They're similar to everyone. And from there, you have sort of structural values. Everyone's house looks a little bit different. That's what makes your house interesting. Those are the boundaries that you set up. Mm-hmm. And then you have your surface values, the things that make life interesting, hobbies and interests, right? Mm-hmm. And then unfortunately, we all of us have built this imaginary fence around our house, except it's a very real fence. There are imaginary values and it's blocking us from getting into the house. So yeah. when we are understanding our values, it's just important to tear that fence down, mm-hmm. letting go of the imaginary values, the things that we used to value and we no longer value them, the things that we think we should value because society told us to value those things, even though we don't, mm-hmm. tearing that fence down so we can make room for our actual values. What, what I really like about this analogy uh, is with the foundational values, those are the ones you don't want to compromise on. That's right. Like those are the ones that, you know, if, it, if, a, if a contractor came to you and said, hey, um, I, I, I've got the exact bedrooms and bathrooms you want. I've got pretty paint and pretty art, but it's really on a bad foundation. Are you going to buy that house? Probably not. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I just bought a house up in Ventura County. And so my wife and I are moving to Ventura County right now. And part of the problem was there is a faulty foundation. Mm. And we had to figure out exactly what it would take to fix that. And thankfully, it didn't take a whole lot to fix it because otherwise, even though we have a beautiful house... The whole thing is ruined if your foundation is ruined. Yeah. And so we had to work into the negotiation. All right, you're going to have to pay for this foundation to be fixed in order Mm -hmm. for us to buy the house. Mm -hmm. And that actually brings me further into Mark's question. We're starting from scratch again, right? Now, of course, you're going to carry things forward that you had before. We brought our dining room table in there. and But 
you are starting from scratch. It's a beautiful place to start because the things that used to work in your old house may or may not work in your new house. Mm. And now is a perfect time to determine that. But I will say this. We don't determine it all at once. Meaning it's not just, okay, I'm going to snap my fingers and now it's all fixed. I have the perfect house, perfect setup. No, we're slowly populating. We're understanding. We're learning the house. We're learning the neighborhood. We're learning the city. We're learning our neighbors. And in doing that, we're also learning our new living situation. Mm. And so it doesn't just happen overnight when you're rebuilding this life. You actually are building. And what happens is you start to understand your values and you also understand they change over time. Just like when you're outfitting a house, it tends to change over time yeah. as well. This is great for Mark because, Mark, you don't have to have all the answers right now. Just start one day at a time, one decision at a time. And, uh, yeah, don't feel like because I know I have that problem where I feel like I got to have a whole plan laid out. I got to know exactly what, what I'm going to do week one, month one, year one. And that just stresses me out because I guarantee you, if you plan something a year in advance or how something's supposed to go over a year's time, it's probably not going to unfold exactly how you planned. That's why I really prefer to have a direction instead of a destination. Yeah. Because if you have a direction, you know you're headed in a, you're, you're headed the way you want to head, but it also makes room for ending up somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Because if I have a destination, say I want to go east, that's my direction, right? Mm-hmm. But if my destination is I want to end up in Boston and I end up in New York, well, now I failed, right? Mm. But if my if I just had a direction, then I succeeded. Dude, we started this 11 years ago with a blog. Yeah. And that was like our main driver. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine if we were still stuck on like, no, we got to make sure that blog is our number one driver. Mm-hmm. We would miss out on so many other opportunities that we have. And we'd miss out on the opportunity to help people heal their relationship with stuff. Yeah. I've become really agnostic to the vehicle. That's why we brought Danny on in Alabama because... You know, they're helping us communicate to the audience in different ways, right? With Danny, what he's doing with TikTok mm-hmm. and Instagram Reels. And we have Social Jess who's sharing different things on social media. All of these are just different vehicles to share this message that we believe in. The message of what it means to live a meaningful life with less. Yeah. We have a question here from Zeta. Cool How can name. you determine the appropriate amount of effort and tolerance you should have in a family relationships? When do you know that you've gone from trying to compromise and accept to just forcing an unhealthy connection because you're family? Anything you can think of might help me. Thank you for everything you both have given throughout the years and best wishes to you and your loved ones. Mm. There's this word that's in vogue recently. We often talk about toxic relationships. And at first, that sounds like a pejorative, and I can understand why it is Mm -hmm. pejorative and is perceived that way, right? But... Toxic just means that it doesn't work for my health, right? It impedes my health. And so what I've had to do is set up boundaries in my life with people who are toxic for me. It doesn't mean they themselves are toxic or bad or evil, but our interactions, quite often when I just let them in, I let them sort of, well, assault me with their Mm. opinions, beliefs, dogmas. And you've experienced this certainly in your own life. When people assault us with their opinions and dogmas constantly, it weighs on us. Mm -hmm. And and what it does is it's as though they're handing... There's this great analogy that uh, Dr. John Deloney uses. We're all carrying these backpacks and we're letting other people put bricks in our backpack constantly. Mm. And no wonder it's weighing us down. And so setting up those boundaries says no. 
I'm not going to take those bricks that you're handing to me. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have to be around them. Sometimes it does mean we have to love them from a distance. But other times it just means that I'm not willing to participate in the conversations that bring me down. Mm. Zeta, I wish I could give you this like perfect answer of like, well, if you've tried three times doing this and three times doing that, then it's appropriate to walk away from a relationship. Um, it's going to be different for every single person. The question is, Zeta, is how much do you want to get along with this person? How much effort does Zeta want to put into this relationship? Now, the effort that I'm talking about is really uh, showing this person that one, that you respect them, showing them that you understand them, and showing them that you love them. Those are three things that will always, will always try to uh, bring someone closer to you, essentially, to help someone see that you see them. I mean, what is love? It's to see someone for who they are, warts and all, and to accept them for who they are, not trying to change them. So if you truly love this person, then there is no magic number of how many, how many times you get to try before you can walk away from this relationship. But what I will say, and we were just talking uh, to a um, to to the woman who wrote cues, Vanessa Edwards, Vanessa Vaughn Edwards. I love the alliteration in her name. Um, she was really talking about how when we have these negative people in our life, you you can uh, if if it's work related, well, you could just get the work done and get out. You don't have to like be around that person. Just stick to what it is. Now with family, it's a little bit different because you kind of get to choose how much you're around them. When you're around them. Try to do a couple things. Sink, sink to their level in a certain way that isn't compromising your value. So I say sink to their level. I don't mean that negatively. I just mean that if it's someone who's always complaining, well, what do you not like that you could talk to this family member about? And if you don't like that approach, that's okay. Maybe you try to uh, bring up something positive. Um, you can also uh, just show them that you're on the same plane with them. That is what's going to help these interactions uh, really, I don't know, lead to meaningful interactions. But here's the thing. Again, like you get to choose how much effort you get to put into it. The question, I'm going to put it back on you, Zeta. How much effort do you want to put into these relationships? And also, she mentioned tolerance. And mm. so tolerance is a great first step. It's a really weak virtue, though. And because if we're constantly just tolerating everyone all the time, does that feel good to us? No, of course no, not. No, it feels like we're being dragged in all these different directions and just tolerating. Mm -hmm. However, we can tolerate someone's opinions, their beliefs, their lifestyle, to the extent that it empowers us to better understand them. Yeah. And if I'm better understanding the person, then I can also figure out how much of that person is appropriate for me. I don't spend nearly as much time with my former family. And I, I, I say that in a way that is also not pejorative, mm -hmm. but people who are actual blood relatives of mine, yeah. I don't renounce them either, but I don't seek out their company, seek out their attention, seek out their time because I understand that my time is a finite resource. And if I have 24 hours in a day, I can spend it with people uh, with whom I feel the relationship is empowering, it's thriving, it's joyous, or I can spend that time with someone where it's argumentative, it's toxic, it's downtrodden, I just mm. don't feel good, it's draining. And, well, I only have that, those 24 hours. I'm sleeping for eight of them, so I have 16 mm -hmm. hours. I'm working for another 10, so I have six hours left. Who do I want to spend those six hours with? Well, generally, it's me. I want to spend those six hours with me. Mm. I'm forced to spend those six hours with me. <laughs> but then occasionally, I want to pepper in other relationships. Mm -hmm. I certainly don't want the relationships that are going to be draining. Yeah. Question from Liz. I still struggle with feeling like I need to buy something when I'm in a particular mood. Then I buy it. Then I'm disappointed and return it. This seems to be a cycle. It's like my past self and who I want to be are fighting with each other. 
how can I navigate these moods that come and go depending on why I'm deflecting? Mm. Well, if you uh, buy every single one of Josh and I's books, mm-hmm. listen to all our podcasts, watch both of our uh, Netflix documentaries, you'll never want to buy anything ever again. Isn't that right, Josh? It's been scientifically proven. <laughs> 89% of the time. Hey, these are impulses we all have to deal with. The question is, is what boundaries have you set up for your life? How can you avoid taking that next step that you really regret taking. So, you know, as one of the minimalists, man, when that new iPhone comes out, it's nice and shiny and new. And Apple does such a good job of like putting their products in this packaging that when you're unboxing it, like it really gives you this, this physical experience that releases a bit of dopamine. So, you know, as one of the minimalists, I really, really want to get that new iPhone, but I've set up boundaries in my life that prevents me from taking that next step. There are questions I will ask myself before I buy something. There are different boundaries I will, I will look at. So one of the rules is the 30, 30 rule of something cost more than $30. You wait 30 hours to buy it. See if you still need it. Um, yeah, we, we also have the the questions before you buy something. Uh, Josh, tell me about the questions that, uh, yeah, that you ask before you buy yourself. Something. Yeah. So there, there's five of them. You can download the free wallpaper, theminimalists.com slash before questions you ask before buying. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you a couple of them. Can I afford it? Right. And so when I'm asking that question, I'm asking, do I have the money to afford this? But also, can I afford the time that it takes? Can I afford the additional cost, the cost of cleaning the thing and putting batteries in the thing and painting the thing and recharging the thing and the psychological, mental, emotional costs of these things? And what I'm hearing from Liz is, man, there are a lot of costs that I didn't budget for. Mm. Not just the, the cost. Yeah, the credit card statement shows up and now you have debt. That's a terrible cost you don't want to confront. But what about these other costs? Mm. And you're finding out about them after the fact. So what are the real costs? And you can have that, 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 that wallpaper on your phone and your desktop. So anytime you're getting ready to make a purchase, you implement the 30-30 rule. You mm-hmm. wait a day for it. Mm-hmm. But then also you ask yourself these five questions. And if the answer to those questions actually will typically compel you to either not purchase the thing or... If you do still buy the thing, now you feel good about buying it because you know you've done so in an intentional way. Absolutely. What about Andrew's question? How do you both enjoy music as minimalists? Do you prefer listening to physical records and CDs or subscribing to music streaming apps? Just one note at a time. <laughs> I, I prefer C, personally. <laughs> What's the frequency? like? How, how often do you play one note at a time? <laughs> 444 is the frequency. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, I do appreciate some minimalist music. Like, you know, Philip Glass. Einstein on the Beach, man. That album makes me feel so weird. It's it's an odd but very good album. Anyway, I like to listen to things digitally. I'm not... I'm not... I don't have ears good enough to pick up on the quality sound of a record or the uh, the static hum of a cassette player and of a cassette and appreciate that in a cassette player. So for me, I do it digitally because it's the easiest thing. It's it's the clutter-free way to do it. But look, I mean, this isn't a minimalist thing. This is this is a Ryan Nicodemus thing. Um, I, I'm not trying to discourage anyone from listening to records or CDs or whatever it is. The question is, is what's best for you? So best for me is really digital. Yeah. And so the question here is, like, what is most intentional for you? Moving up to Ventura, we don't have internet at home right now. And I think we're probably not going to get it. At least we're going to try not to get it. Mm. I, I would never have internet at home, but for Ella and Bex. And we've agreed at this point, we're going to see how long we can go without it, mm-hmm. which actually, and we get 
really poor cell phone reception. Plus, we have the entryway rule as well. Mm -hmm. So we put our phone on a counter right near our entryway. So I don't have access to my phone while I'm at home. Mm -hmm. And I also don't have access to the internet right now. And so I can't really stream music there. So what we've been asking the question is, like, what would be the most intentional way to do this? And Mm -hmm. it could be having a record player. It could be CDs. And I haven't decided to go that route Mm -hmm. uh, just yet. But what I've learned is that It depends on what your outcome is, right? Now, I'm a big fan. I've been this way since I was a little kid. Remember 96, 97, we went and bought the Wu-Tang Clan album together? (laughs) Oh, yes. We went to the midnight sale at CD Connection in Middletown, Ohio. Yeah, it was at uh, Wu-Tang Forever, right? Yeah. The double disc. I think it was uh, July 97. Yeah. And we, we were waiting in line because... I, and I still do this now mm. every Friday morning when because it used to be Tuesdays that music came out. So oh, okay. we, that was Monday night. We went out there after school. My mom drove us out mm-hmm. to the Wu Tang Forever release party mm-hmm. a, in Middletown, Ohio. And what I what I realized, I sort of do the same thing now. But my phone allows me to have the convenience of the record store in my pocket. Mm-hmm. So what I have done until recently is every Friday morning I just hop on. And I start searching through all of the charts, the new releases. Here's the new singer-songwriter releases. Here's the new hip-hop releases. I found this new category recently called Down Tempo. (laughs) Okay. And uh, there was this band called, what's their name? The, oh, come on, Josh. The album was called Kids. And uh, What's their name would be an awesome band name. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I I discover music this way and I listen to it. And I know generally within the first eight seconds as to whether or not, because I'm an album listener. So if I don't like your first song, I'm not going to like the album. Yeah. I like listening to whole albums. I don't listen to singles. I don't listen Mm -hmm. to playlists. I listen to albums. I like to wear albums out. But every Friday, I tend to spend half an hour or so just going through the new releases. And that's really my pro tip for anyone who is interested in exploring new music. It's how I stay up to date on music. We have our resident Gen Zer here, and I'm often sharing brand new music with Danny all the time just because I'm going through and listening to what's new. I'm not staying stuck on listening to... Mm. Def Leppard or Twista from the <laughs> 80s or 90s. Two of Josh's favorite bands. Well, Twista is one of my favorite hip-hop artists. Yeah. I think Adre- I, I sent, accidentally awesome. sent uh, Danny Adrenaline Rush, his first album, oh. which came out in 97. I think the best opening song to uh, to a hip-hop album there is. Really? Yeah. I, have to, I haven't listened to that album in so long. He holds a world record for for most words in a minute or something, right? He does. Yeah, he did at one point. I think yeah. someone passed him up uh, recently. But yes, he had the Guinness World Record, uh, I think in 92 or something. That's crazy. And But the thing is, you could understand... That was the thing about the record is you could understand each syllable. Mm-hmm. And I think it was over 100 syllables in a minute or, or whatever it was, wow. or yeah. 10 syllables. It was a ridiculous amount of syllables mm-hmm. per second. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, that's how I do it. I, I do it intentionally. So whether it is streaming, vinyl, CDs, tapes, it doesn't matter. What matters is I sit down and I, it's the only thing I'm doing. I'm listening to the music. I'm immersed in the music. I'm enjoying the music. It's so funny, man. I, you mentioned that uh, waiting in line and getting Wu-Tang's album at midnight. <clears throat> is it? I miss it. I don't know if that's good or bad, but it's like I miss that experience of being intentional with your time. Like we're, we're waiting in line. We're excited. We're talking to other people about it. Your mom was in the car with her curlers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, if the thing is, you can still create that. Like, So if you missed it enough and you said, hey, 
I want to do that still. Record stores still exist. Yeah. And so I remember each week I would go to the record store every Tuesday mm-hmm. and Jerome and I, my, my brother and I, we'd go and we'd put the headphones on. We'd just listen to different albums. Hey, can I listen to this one? Can I listen to this one? And mm-hmm. we'd always leave there with two or three. I'd spend my busboy money mm-hmm. on clothes at the Middletown Mall and CDs at CD Connection. <laughs> what a hipster. Matthew has a question for us. Do you ever feel like you have to justify what you do to others? For instance, I was a stay-at-home dad, but when I told people what I did, I always made sure to work into the conversation that I had been offered some nice salary jobs and jobs with fancy titles. Yeah, I, I used to feel compelled to do this as well because what does it say about me as a human being? Do you approve of me? Am I worthy of your love is really what you're saying. And the only way to be worthy of your love is if I perform these acts. Mm. I know uh, conditional love, right? Which isn't love at all, right? Mm-hmm. It's one of the things I really enjoy. Uh, this is not a religious comment, but it's the thing I enjoy about the the Christian tradition of the different religious traditions. A lot of religious traditions are acts based, uh, and so you get into heaven or nirvana or whatever through different acts, things that mm-hmm. you do, right? Mm-hmm. You're worthy if you do these seven things, these 17 things, these 700 things. But within a tradition like Christianity, you, you learn that, oh, well, I'm already worthy. Now, there are different reasons. They would say because uh, Jesus died for my sins or whatever. But if you set that aside and you realize like, well, no, Matthew, regardless of your religious tradition, you are worthy. And if these people only accept you because you would have gotten a better job, you would have had a better job title, I could have, but hey guys, just so you know, I could have been miserable. Mm. Then is that the type of acceptance you want anyway? Yeah, that's interesting. It's like, you, like Matthew, you're basically saying that <clears throat> you want people to like you for who you could have been. So therefore, they'll like you for who you are now. You can just skip that first part and just associate with people who like you for who you are right now, not what could have been. I call that if then statement. So, so what you're doing is you're decluttering the if Mm. and you're just accepting the then. So if I have the right job title, then I will be accepted. Yeah. So remove the if all the way through the then and just say, I will be accepted. Yeah. And if I posit it that way, then that whole first clause becomes irrelevant. I will be accepted. Yeah. If I have the appropriate job title, fine. It's not that I'm renouncing it, but I no longer need it to be accepted. Yeah. And we, we all want to be understood. We all want to be accepted. We all want to fit in. I mean, everyone has a certain level of that. But, you know, the best way to get over, not get over, but the best way to hold space for that negative emotion is really how do you accept yourself? Do you love yourself? And, and I... I look in the mirror. I really like who I am, but I certainly am asking these questions. Is someone accept, especially the people I look up to, are they accepting me? And I can hold space for it without letting it ruin my day. We have one more question here from Jan. I want to study, but I keep failing doing it. I find it difficult and it's hard for me to even start learning something for school. And if I do so, I usually end it quickly. Sometimes it's because I'm distracted by something else, but most of the time, it's because I don't find any motivation for it. Overall, I don't like learning, but deep down, I know I want to study and go to college. Do you have some tips for me? Thanks. So shout out to everyone who uh, used a picture on their profile 
except for Jan. <laughs> yeah. Big thanks, Mark and Zeta and Liz and Andrew and Matthew. <clears throat> I'm sorry. What was Jan's question? <laughs> so here's here's what I would look at with respect to Jan's question. You say you want to do something, but you're not doing it. And what I would simply say, in, in what you're saying is I lack the motivation. Mm. I think motivation is so, so overrated. Let me mm. explain why. Because if you're truly compelled to do something, then you will simply do it. You won't make excuses to do it. You won't look for other things to do to check off your list before you do it. If you're truly compelled to do something, it's so compelling that you simply do it. And it may be that schooling is simply not that compelling for you. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Maybe society is telling you that you should want to study. You should want to. But studying is even a pejorative word. If I asked my daughter to study, she was like, oh, God, no, I don't, no, please don't make me, right? Mm -hmm. Or if I force her to read, she hates it. Here's a secret for you. I read my first book. Now, I'm a best-selling author of five books, right? Well, four of them are bestsellers. But I've written five books. I read my first book when I was 21 years old. Now, here's why. Mm. Because before, other people were forcing the reading onto me. Mm -hmm. But then when I actually felt compelled to read something, I read something and it was so compelling, it made me want to read more and more. No one had to force me to do it. I didn't have to force myself. I didn't have to have motivation. So, Jan, are you motivated to eat every day? No, but you do it every day, right? You still eat every day. It requires no motivation whatsoever. And so what are the things that are so compelling? They don't require motivation. They make you want to get out of bed. For me, it is writing. I really enjoy writing. I enjoy getting out of bed and writing first thing in the morning. And that's one of the things I talk to students about in the writing class, how to write better, is developing that habit. If you're compelled by writing, then finding the best time of day to do it. So you might be compelled by studying and the thing that's getting in your way is, oh, I haven't found the right time of day to do it. But how come that same thing doesn't get in the way of your eating? How come mm. it doesn't get in the way of your sleeping? You sleep every day, you eat every day. What are the things you do every day? The things that you have to do? If you have the thing that you're so compelled by, you're passionate by, then you're willing to suffer through the inconveniences of doing that every day. Yeah. Mm. Chan, I want to give you permission to just don't study then. You know what? You have our permission. It's okay if you give up on studying. The question is, how does that statement make you feel? Is it, does it make you feel uh, an extreme amount of discomfort? Does it make you feel like, uh, like, like well, no, well, now I have to study? then great. Find that leverage to do that. But hey, I'm going to give you permission, Jan. Stop studying. You have my permission and Josh's. Mm. Patrons, true fans, VIPs. By the way, if you're one of our VIPs and you would like a personalized video from us, you can just send us a DM on Patreon. Uh, that's any of the 200 or so VIPs who uh, birthday wishes, anniversaries, just want Ryan and I to make some smart-ass remarks on video. We're certainly happy to do that personally well, i'll just take out my phone we, we do this every tuesday we just start making videos for our favorite vips there it doesn't cost you any more money we just want to thank you for being a, a vip member for our favorite vips the secret is is all our vips our favorite vips except you jan <laughs> we love you jan and the rest of you thanks so much for your questions yeah we love you thank you so much love people use things we'll see you soon see you 
Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. 